And if you go to the end of the chapter, verses 55 and 56. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Julie and I were driving yesterday afternoon. The car said 100 degrees. At one point, as we were driving around Midland yesterday afternoon, 100 degrees. And somehow, I have a cold. I don't know, how does that happen? I don't understand. But uh, somehow, I wound up with a cold. So I apologize uh, for the sound of my voice this morning. I feel okay, but uh, sound a little nasally. Last Sunday night, we looked together at a complete mature picture of a congregation in the New Testament of the Lord's Church. We looked at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, where Paul addresses the church in Philippi, and he says to all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi with the bishops, New King James, and the deacons. And so last Sunday night, we spent some time looking at that picture, looking at the fact that a congregation of the Lord's Church is made up of Saints, And we talked about those being the sanctified or set apart of God for his service. And then we went in and looked at what that term bishops means. And we looked at the fact that that is an overseer of a congregation. And we looked at the qualifications of bishops given in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. And then we talked about deacons, and we explained uh, who a deacon is and the work of a deacon. And we looked at their qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we said, this again in the New Testament is a picture of a mature congregation of the Lord's church. Philippians 1 and verse 1. I think it is important, it just happens to be Mother's Day, and happy Mother's Day, of course, to all of our mothers uh, who are present and those who are not present. But uh, it happens to be Mother's Day, but I think it is important to follow up a sermon like that with a sermon like what I would like to study today. I want you to think about Jesus and his love for women, his appreciation for women and their work. Uh, I think it is important for us to understand what the Bible has to say. In Pew Packer's videos over the last year, I've recorded them, and now uh, as we're assembled on Sunday nights, I often will ask our young people, who wrote the Bible? What's the answer? Who wrote the Bible? The answer I provide is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. And you can go to places like 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 20, where the Bible says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of, is of any private interpretation, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't opinions, it wasn't uh, what these men thought that should be said, or what these men thought should be written down. But these men were inspired by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And so we understand that that the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. This is really important for us to understand. It's very basic, but very, very important. 
to understand that the Bible was written because later in those same videos, I will ask our young people about how many men did the Holy Spirit use to write the Bible. And the answer is about 40, right? About 40 different men were used by the Holy Spirit to write the Bible. About how long did it take? 1,500 to 1,600 years between writing of Genesis to the end of Revelation. About 40 different men over a period of fifteen to 1,600 years wrote what we have today and know to be the Bible. And yet, it is done with no contradiction. And we understand that that can only be because there really is only one author. About 40 different men wrote the Bible, but there is only one author, and that is God. This is His book, and that's what we need to understand. Open your Bibles to John chapter 16 as we begin this morning and we think about this thought. By way of introduction, I I want us to understand again what we're dealing with. In John chapter 16, beginning in verse number 5, Jesus knows that he's going to die the next morning on the cross. And yet before leaving the upper room, he has this to say to the apostles. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. This is important for us to understand. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is coming and he's going to guide you into all truth. And what he's going to do is take of what is mine, my teaching, my doctrine, and he is going to impart it to you. What does that tell us? It tells us That whatever we find in all of the New Testament are words of Jesus. These are not words of men. These are not opinions of men. Peter was not writing what he thought should be done. Paul was not writing about what he thought should happen. He's not writing about what he thinks the church should look like or what the church should be like. He is writing words of Jesus. The letters may not be read in your Bible, but they are all words of Jesus. I want to lay that foundation this morning because we're not just going to look at red letters in the New Testament today to think about Jesus' thoughts on women. We're going to be looking to the whole of the New Testament. And I think this, again, just reminds us that what we're looking at is what Jesus thinks. These are His words. This is His teaching. And that's what we need to understand. That picture of a congregation in Philippi was not an opinion of Paul. That's what Jesus taught. That's what Jesus said needed to be in place. 
Those qualifications that Paul gives in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, those aren't Paul's qualifications for those who will serve as overseers or elders of a congregation or deacons of a congregation. Those are the commands of Jesus. Paul was just writing them down as he was inspired by God. That's what we need to understand. And so it is with women. Now, if you go in your New Testament to 1 Timothy chapter 2, this is what the Bible says. Paul's not offering his thoughts. He's simply writing down what God told him to write down. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Again, in this context... Paul is saying, I just want you to know that when it comes to leading in public worship, I am permitting men to be in that role. I'm permitting men to be in those, those, that leadership position. It's going to be the same as we get down into chapter 3 and we look at qualifications of elders and we look at qualifications of deacons. Paul is saying, again, inspired of God, this is God. This is what he wants. This is how it's made up. I don't permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. I don't permit. I don't allow it. God is saying, I don't allow it. That's not the role that I have for women when it comes to public assembly. I know a lot of you women have heard my wife speak. You've heard her teach. And you know that the talent for teaching and preaching really is not with me in our home. It's with her. I'm fully confident of that. I I know that to be true. I've not heard her, but I'm confident that, that she's wonderful at it. But the Bible says I don't permit women to do that in the public assembly. When, when Christian men are present, I don't permit her to have authority over a man. I'm not saying that. That's what the Bible says. And you can read it just as plainly as I have right now. I am not the head of the church. Jesus is. These are his words. And we are in a place where we simply need to honor him and what he says we must do. But. What are his thoughts on women? What are his thoughts on women? I think it is important for us to study this from time to time and simply to be reminded. There are four things this morning that I've come to tell you about what Jesus thinks about women. All right, there are four things that I want us to consider. This is not an exhaustive list. There are many, many more things that we could say. But this is what I've come to share with you today. Jesus wants you to know that women played a big and major role in his earthly ministry. Jesus wants you to know that women played a big and important role in his earthly ministry. The Bible tells us about a number of women who were often with the Lord, doesn't it? The Bible tells us about how special these women were to Jesus and to his life and what they did for him. In John chapter 2, John records the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed while on earth. Guess who was there in John chapter 2? His mother. His mother was there. And his mother comes to him and says, in essence, son, uh, we've run out of something really important here and, and you need to do something about it. 
And he says, don't you know that my hour has not yet arrived? And she looks at the servants in John chapter 2 and verse number 5, and she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. She knew he could. She knew who he was. She knew that he had the power to, to do whatever needed to be done in that instance. She knew that he was God, and the Bible tells us that. You see, the Holy Spirit didn't leave that detail out. He wanted us to know that that was Mary, and she was there, and she commanded the servants to do whatever Jesus told them to do. Jesus was close to several different women. The Bible really doesn't tell us of anyone closer, perhaps, than Mary and her sister Martha. And you remember in John chapter 11, the Bible tells us in verses 1 through 44 that their brother, the brother that Jesus loved, the Bible says, had died. His name was Lazarus. Jesus went knowing exactly what he was going to do, but Lazarus had died. And when he arrived, there was a great scene of mourning playing itself out. There was a great assembly of people there assembled to comfort the two sisters in their time of sorrow. The Bible tells us in John chapter 11 and verse 35 that Jesus wept. He wept with them. Why? Because He loved them. Because He knew them. Because He cared about them. Because they were special and because they were important to Him. He wept with them. It was Mary in Mark chapter 14 verses 6 through 9 that has come to Jesus and broken a bottle of very costly perfume poured it over his head, and then takes grief for having done it by some of the apostles. But this is the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse number 6. Jesus says, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, Wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. You see, the Holy Spirit could have left that out. Jesus didn't have to say that. But he he knew how important women were to to his life and to his earthly ministry. And he says, wherever the gospel goes, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, this is going to be told about her. She's special. She's done something very special for me. And I want everybody forever to know what she has done for me. You see, it's a picture of a God who thought much and highly of women. In Luke chapter 23, we had a portion of that read for us a moment ago. But if you turn there now again to Luke chapter 23, the Holy Spirit tells us of the apostles running from Jesus when it came to his time to die on the cross, that they all fled and went away. But the Bible then tells us about those who stayed, those who remained with Jesus throughout those hours that he would be on the cross. In fact, Luke records in chapter 23 and verse 26 that as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. 
For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. And they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? Isn't it amazing that in this scene, Jesus bearing his cross, walking to his death, turns around and speaks to these women. Why did he do that? Because he cared, didn't he? Because they were following, and they were mourning, and they were lamenting. And Jesus cared about them, and he turned around, and he spoke to them. In one of the weakest moments of his life, he would turn and speak to these women. Because he didn't care? No. Because he cared so much. Brother Jim read for us from the end of Luke chapter 23, and I repeat again, You know, the Holy Spirit didn't have to write this for us. The Holy Spirit didn't have to see that Luke recorded these words. But the single greatest event in human history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus isn't raised, then we are to be pitied. If Jesus isn't raised, then we're all still in our sins. If Jesus isn't raised, then we're all without hope. It's the single greatest event in human history. And what does Luke tell us? He tells us about the women. He tells us about the women who watch where they put Jesus. He tells us about the women who went home and made preparations with the spices and different things that they would need for proper burial so that they could come back once the Sabbath was over and they could move that stone away and they could properly care for the body of Jesus because they loved Him so. The Bible says that it was those women who arrived early in that day and saw Jesus first. The first to see Him. Go to the end of Mark's account. I just, I don't want to skip over this and then I'll move on to the next point, but I want you just to start reading with me in Mark chapter 16 and verse 1. And I want you to see the thinking of God toward women and why this would be recorded for us and for all uh, human history and, and for those in future generations would know this. This is what God saw fit to record. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first, I'm sorry, to who? To Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, and they mourned and wept. He appeared first 
to Mary Magdalene. He appeared first to a woman. And the Bible is not afraid to say it. The Bible is not ashamed or bashful to say it. He appeared first to a woman. She was there and watched where they put the body. And she was the first to be there when, he, when it was discovered that the body was gone. The Holy Spirit made sure that these things were brought to their remembrance and written down through inspiration for all generations to know. Jesus wants you to know that women played an important role in his earthly ministry. Number two, Jesus wants you to know that everywhere he is preached, the lives of women should improve. Jesus wants you to know that everywhere that his gospel is preached, lives of women should improve. They should not go down. The quality of life for women should not be degraded, but in the eyes of Jesus, upgraded. This is seen clearly in a godly marriage, isn't it? If you go over to Ephesians chapter 5, notice what the Bible says concerning this relationship. This is the teaching of Jesus. Paul is recording it for us. In Ephesians chapter 5, we look down at verse number 25, and the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives. How much? Well, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 28 So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. Question. If a husband loves his wife the way that Jesus loves the church, is that a good thing? That improves things, doesn't it? If you have a marriage where a man loves his wife the way Jesus loves the church, oh, she is not inferior, is she? No, she's elevated. She's elevated in his eyes. See, women are not looked down upon as as anything inferior in the eyes of God, and certainly not in the eyes of Jesus, who is God. The Bible doesn't teach that. uh, Paul is is not giving his opinion on marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. He's recording exactly what God told him to record in Ephesians chapter 5. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, wherever I am preached, the lives of women should greatly improve. I see this also in 1 Peter chapter 3, don't you? In 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse number 7, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, with your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, speaking only in physical terms, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. He says, Husbands, honor your wives. That's the teaching of Jesus. Jesus says, wherever I am preached, the lives of women should improve. They should be bettered. And we need to understand that. That's his desire for women in the home. And a man who does not treat his wife like this is not faithful to Jesus. We need to know that. That's the teaching of Jesus. Number three, Jesus wants you to know that women are not to be an object of lust. Jesus wants you to know that women are not on this earth simply to be objects of lust. Well, what are we talking about when we talk about lust? We're talking about an inordinate desire to that which I have no right. An inordinate desire to that which I have no right. Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We'll look at some red letters. Here are the words of Jesus and the first sermon we have recorded and 
the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, and, and you know what verse number 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart. Well, but drop down to verse number 28. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 28, Jesus says, But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, Jesus says women are not here for men simply to lust over. That is not what women are here for. He said, that's not what they were created for. That is not at all my desire for them. They are not mere objects. They are human beings created in the image of God. They are not here for men simply to lust over. That's what Jesus says. That's what we need to understand. If you go back now to 1 Peter chapter 3, we looked at verse number 7, but let's jump back to verse number 1. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 1. Again, Peter, writing through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God writing through him. In 1 Peter 3, he says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Listen, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Young young ladies, and I guess all ladies, be beautiful. Make yourself to be beautiful. The Bible doesn't say that you can't or shouldn't. The Bible doesn't say that you can't make yourself up and, and present yourself in a way that, that uh, might be uh, attractive. Present yourself well. But he says, make sure that what is on the inside is more important to you than what is on the outside. God says, I'm looking on the inside. And I'll find an attractive woman, well, by looking at her inside. I'll see what she's made of. I'll see what her makeup is. I'm not looking at her face. I'm not looking at her physique. I'm looking at her inside. Young ladies, listen to me. Find a man who will treat you with respect. Dress in a way that the right kind of man will find you attractive. You can show off your body and you can attract anybody you want. But you don't want just anybody. You want the right kind of somebody. Cover yourself, and the right kind of guy will find you attractive. That's the kind you're looking for. Jesus wants you to know that women are not here simply to be objects of lust. That's not what you're here for. And that's made very clear throughout the Bible. That's important for us to remember. And the final thing I've come to say today is that Jesus wants you to know that salvation is equally available and granted to both men and women. Salvation is equally provided, granted, and made available to both men and women. Clearly, this is said in the Great Commission. Some of the last words we have of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record. Matthew says to uh, go into all the world, and or Mark says go into all the world and uh, preach the gospel to every creature. Right? Every creature. He doesn't say just to the male creatures. 
He says to every creature. And of course, he's talking about mankind. Matthew records Jesus as saying, go and make disciples of all the nations. He doesn't just say to the men in the nations, but he says to all the nations. And Luke records in Luke chapter 24 and verse number 47 that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. All nations, all people. Jesus doesn't leave anybody out. He said, I want you to preach and tell people everywhere about me. If they're a man or if they're a woman, I don't care. I want you to tell everybody. Well, look with me just very briefly in the book of Acts. And look with me in Acts chapter 16. No, these are not red letters, but this is the teaching of Jesus. In Acts chapter 16, this is what the Bible says in verse number 13. Luke is with Paul and Silas and Timothy, it would appear, because he uses the word we. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 13, And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. You know, Luke could have just left that out. He could have just not mentioned Lydia. He could have mentioned that they went to the riverside and met some folks there. But he says specifically that's where the women were, and Lydia was there. And Lydia obeyed the gospel. Why? Because God wanted him to. Because God saw fit to put that there. God wanted it there. And that's why it is there. I'll tell you something else that God put. Look at chapter 17 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating uh, that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. He could have left that sentence out of there. He could have left that little phrase out of there. But he didn't, because he didn't want to, because he wanted it there on purpose. You see, the words in the Bible are not there on accident. There's nothing here that God didn't intentionally put there, including that phrase. Not a few of the leading women became Christians. They joined Paul, and they went with him wherever he went. Think about the number of women that Paul addresses specifically in his letters. Think about the number of women specifically mentioned by Paul by name as he concludes so many of the epistles in the New Testament. Tell this woman this. Tell this woman that. Praise this woman for doing that. Think about how many different women Paul addressed specifically. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wanted it there. Because Paul wanted it there. Because these women were special and they were important. 
You see, roles of women and men, they might be different in the home. And different roles are to be used and displayed, and they're in place in the church for a reason, because that's the way God set it up, and that's the way He wants it. But that doesn't mean that in the eyes of God, men are somehow elevated and women are somehow degraded. That's not how it is. He said, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the opportunity to be saved and to go to heaven, that opportunity is available for male and female. He says, I don't care who you are. I died for you, and I want you to go to heaven. I think I need to conclude. Maybe you think the same, and maybe you think of something else, but I'll conclude anyway in Galatians chapter 3. I think about the words of Paul when it comes to this point, don't you? In Galatians chapter 3, in verse number 26, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, when it comes to salvation, God says, well, I've made it available to everybody. Yes, I have different roles to be played in the home. And yes, I have different roles to be played in the organization and leadership of the church. Oh, but women, you're loved by God and special. This is Mother's Day. God bless our mothers for all that they do in our homes and for their children. But God bless all of our ladies in their service to God. This congregation, I am convinced, and you know I'm right, that this congregation does not function at her best without women without their work, without their tireless efforts, involved and have their hands in so many different areas. One of your biggest? Well, you're going to see in just a few minutes as we exit this auditorium and our children go to Bible class. Notice how many women are going to get up to teach those Bible classes. We have a a book made available in the foyer of women and the different efforts and works in which they're involved and things that they do. I'm telling you, this congregation, you know I'm right. It doesn't function without the tireless and often overlooked and thankless jobs of our women in their work. We need to know that that's that's the teaching of Jesus. There is a place for us all. There is work for us all. Praise God for all the saints in Christ Jesus. It takes us all. God knows that, and He has made it very clear. This morning, if you're not a part of the Bride of Christ, if you're not a part of His church, well, He died for you. He wants to be you to be a part of His Bride. He wants you to be saved. No matter your gender this morning, He wants you to be saved. He died for you, and He wants you to come to Him. He invites you to come. This morning, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you willing to make that confession? Are you willing this morning to repent of sin in your life, to turn away from it, to serve the true and living God? Are you ready this morning to be immersed in the waters of baptism? You see, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How do you put on Christ? How do you get into Christ? Well, the Bible says it's baptism. It is there that you meet the precious blood that was shed on the cross. 
It is there that your sins are washed away. Acts 22 and verse 16. It is then that you are added by the Lord to His church. That's where the saved are found. And this morning, if you're not a part of that body, then the Lord's invitation is extended. This morning, if you find yourself a part of that body and something amiss in your life, sin in your life, or something that that you need your brethren to be praying for and about, well, we stand ready to help you any way that we possibly can. Will you please let us know? If there's something that you need this morning, the Lord invites you to come, and so do we, as together we stand and sing.